Hi, I'm Angie, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We are the Faithlift Sisters, four women who love Jesus and who have committed to spending time studying the Bible and growing in friendship with each other. We love being together, and we hope that you'll enjoy your time with us. We find ourselves in Nehemiah 1. Finally, we're getting to that scripture. This, we're going to get there today, eventually. One of the things I wanted to chat about was that Ezra and Nehemiah are two separate. Originally, they were one book together, and now they're two separate books in our Bibles. And they talk about the return to home, how the Israelites came home. Just so quickly, what's home to you guys? Hmm. Well, I am a military wife, mm-hmm. and so home means different things for me. Um, if you're talking about just kind of the feeling of home, it's just where my people are. It, whether it be a hotel or a new house or an old mm-hmm. house or whatever, it's just even on vacation, it's just where my people are. But if we want to talk about like a physical feeling of home, it's being in my own bed with my own mattress. That's just the reality <laughs> of it. Yeah. Well, we moved a lot too, so I would say. Wherever Dan is, my husband, that's home. Um, I would include my kids, except they've all grown and gone now. We're empty nesters, so it's just the two of us. If it were a physical place, I can remember when I first moved away from Florida, and I would come back to visit. I'd step off the airplane into that humidity, and I would feel that wave hit me, and I would think, oh, I'm home. So... That's funny because most people would be like, oh, I cannot wait to get away from the humidity. Get me in the air conditioning. Yes. Yes. I say time for my body facial. (laughs) Um, You know what? We have lived pretty much in the same place for so long that um, home is our house where we live right now, and that feels like home. But um, I always think when I go up north and if I'm coming back, as soon as I hit the Great Lakes um, Crossing Mall, I'm like, oh, I'm home, because it's only 20 more minutes. (laughs) So it feels like I'm right on my doorstep. Yeah. Not about shopping so much. Not so much about the shopping. No, I don't have time. I got to get home. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. My my first response to this was my pillow, like Mm -hmm. my pillow, and then I was like, no, I love my family. I want (laughs) be with my family. We shamed you under that. (laughs) I know you guys were going, oh, my husband, my family, and I was like, no, I really, I counted them already. (laughs) (laughs) They shouldn't have to be said. That's spoken. There you go. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what was going on for the Israelites. They're starting now. We're talking about their journey back and what happened. So Ezra and Nehemiah were previously split. So some of this information is found in the book of Ezra. Currently we have, I'm sorry, they are currently split. Previously they were together. And so some of this you'll find in the book of Ezra. What we want to just kind of lay out, there's huge disagreement between the scholars on this. There are different things. Some say that Nehemiah came back before Ezra and all this stuff. We're not going to worry about that. If you disagree with us, okay, that's fine. We're just picking this one to try to make it a very logical, um, connected way of going through the scripture. Right. Plus, it's the way Dee Dee did it in the homework, so that's the <laughs> other reason. <laughs> the other thing to note is the dates can be really confusing. The problem is we're in the Old Testament, so this is backwards math. And for people like me who have a hard time doing forwards math, this gets really confusing. So we're trying to keep it just as simple as possible. If if math is your thing, if dates are your thing, go get them, right? <laughs> Dig in. But you'll just see it briefly here with us. 
So we are. We have the two kingdoms. They went into exile, and now everybody's in Babylon. Can I just jump in right there? Sure. Yesterday, I talked about um, the first exile, and I said that Mordecai went, and Mordecai did not go. Then I just was super ahead of myself, so Mordecai did not go with that first exile. But who did? Tell us who came. Who, who went first. So, Daniel. The first wave. Da- right. Okay, into the first exile, that's what happened. Yes. But now the first wave back? Ah, the first wave of returners. Returners. There's where Mordecai is. Right. Mordecai falls into plan there. Um, also with Zerubbabel, how about that? And Great name. Uh, Sheshbazar. I think I said that right. Mm-hmm. These are not names that I will ever choose for my own children. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. So uh, Zerubbabel was a priest. And he was charged with going back. This is 50 years after um, the original captivity. So not exactly 50 years maybe, but, you know, right around 50 years. And so Zerubbabel goes, um, he's the priest, and he's going to go and he's going to build the altar first, and he's going to um, help rebuild the temple. And he's taking Mordecai with him again, um, and then Sheshbazar. And the cool thing about Mordecai, which I kind of alluded to yesterday, is that he was the um, uncle of Esther. And Esther was terribly influential and um, was definitely a woman of God's own heart, but she didn't feel brave. Um, But she knew what God had called her to do. And so um, she just listened to that and had just a great influence on freeing people. So anyway, that just kind of dials all that together. And we are going to be studying Esther next. So we'll find out a lot more about that then. And there is a lot of overlap here between what we're talking about now, what we will be talking about, and what they talked Mm -hmm. about in Ezra. So there's Mm -hmm. just kind of um, that that funky little timeline where things jumble together. But again, we're breaking it out so that we can be a little more linear. Okay. So... Mm -hmm. So it was our first wave back, second wave back. The second wave back came with Ezra. And Ezra was a priest as well. He was actually of the um, of Aaron's lineage. So Moses, when Moses was the leader and he brought the people out of Egypt, God designated that Aaron would be the priest. Mm. Um, and Ezra came from Aaron's line. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. The Levites? Was that the Levite line? No. No? Mm-hmm. Okay, never no. mind. That came later. Oh, okay. Actually. Okay. So, um, but Ezra loved the laws of God. He was devoted to studying the law um, and studying the Word of God, and he really practiced what he preached. Um, He walked the walk and talked the talk. He had the whole package. And his heart was to instill that love of God and his laws back into the people of Israel. Um, Because during their captivity, even before their captivity, they had wandered so far away from him. Um, So that was sort of his, his big thing. He wanted the people to love the law of God, to love God, to obey the law of God, to live it out in their everyday lives. So that was Ezra. And the third wave comes back um, with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes at the time. Um, He heard from his brother and some other Israelites of what has been happening in Jerusalem and um, his job, God put it on his heart to go back to 
build the wall around Jerusalem. And we'll talk more about why they really needed the wall later, but his job is to go, to rebuild, to repair, and to dedicate the wall, and um, and to help the people renew their faith. Um, he did all this. The timing is just um, perfect because this is a fulfillment of the prophecies from Zechariah and Daniel that had told the people what would happen um, in the years to come. So this is a great fulfillment of that. Yeah, so when we look at Nehemiah, let's kind of take a look at who he is, seeing that this is his book. <laughs> Yay, we're, we're our second day in, and now we get to actually talk about Nehemiah. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what being the cupbearer to the king meant. I mean, some of my research said he was like a bodyguard, like a secret service agent. He tested all the food before the king, or tested the wine before the king drank. So he was a layer of protection um, for the king's personal well-being. Um, he also lived in uh, Susa, the capital of Persia, and he lived in the palace with the king. And so he had a very high position. Pretty close um, personal yeah. relationship. And um, the king would not have a cupbearer that he didn't trust. Mm. So obviously, um, you know, Nehemiah was a trusted um Person, yeah, <laughs> member of the household. Member of the household. Of, yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what king. comes up for that with me is he's he's a foreigner. He is. That's a pretty amazing. Yeah, that the king would choose someone. No, he was an Israelite. He wasn't a Babylonian. He right. wasn't Persian. Right. Yeah. Now he probably was born in right. Babylon. Right. But he was of a different culture, and so the king really trusted him. Mm-hmm. I thought that's kind of mm-hmm. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's an Israelite born in captivity. He's the son of... Oh, could someone say the his dad's name? Go for it, right? Oh, I love it. So I hear what's going on. I'm setting us all up on the breaks, but we keep trying to say all these names and everybody's... I don't know if I'm right. It's Hakaliah. Kind of like Hakalui, but probably not. <laughs> I, I was going to call him Hakaliah, but Hakaliah. I figured I would hack that name if I said it, right, <laughs> if I said it like that. So. Yeah. Hakaliah. And yeah. eventually later in Nehemiah, we find out that he's also, Nehemiah becomes a governor mm-hmm. of Jerusalem. Right. So he's, to me, kind of seems someone who's very good at the executive functions. Like he can execute things that need to happen. He can make sure things get done. He is upper management material. Definitely. Right. Mm -hmm. Where he has his eye on the big project Mm -hmm. as opposed to getting lost in the details. Also, just from what happens in his life, I, you know, I get the feeling he's he's a man of God. Mm-hmm. And even though he's high up in Persia with the king, he is after God's heart. And, um, and God leads him in a big, big way. That's a real good point. When you think about it, he's in the palace. He's mm-hmm. seeing all the opulence of Persia, all mm-hmm. the opulence of being in, in Babylon. Wait. Babylon, the gardens of Babylon? Was yeah. that one of the seven wonders seven of the ancient one, one world? Of the seven mm-hmm. wonders of the world, yeah. Some big time mm-hmm. stuff. He didn't get pulled in. Right. He was still going after God's heart. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I'm just realizing mm-hmm. some of this. Pretty awesome that he was able to maintain his identity Yeah. Um, in the midst of being exiled in a foreign country. 
his spiritual identity as well as his national identity. Yeah, and to keep his head about him when he's in the palace, right there with all that stuff going on, um, and not be drawn into it. Absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to be drawn in, even when you're really clinging hard to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you're in the midst of all that stuff, um, life with people who aren't Christians or walking a Christian walk, it's so easy to get pulled in. And he, I, I just think he did a good job of he keeping. Her. Yeah, he's a separate. great example of being in the world, but not of the not world. Right. The world. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I think really that that probably helped to promote him um, to the different positions that he held. Mm-hmm. Because if I have someone who is going to come, and you know, if I'm in the position where I have to have someone taste my food mm-hmm. before I eat it to make sure I'm not going to drop dead, yep. like of course I want someone who's going to be obviously trustworthy, but then also who knows who he is and um, you and know holds. I was yeah, just thinking holds that to it. Thing. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a great example as you guys are talking. This is what we should look like. Mm-hmm. We can be in the world, but there should be something different. People should be able to say, there's something different about that person that I trust, that I like. I can count on something. Yeah. I can count on a stability right. that maybe the world mm-hmm. doesn't have. Right. So speaking about instability, what's the state of Jerusalem? Well, it's a mess. Because he was called mm-hmm. back to, to, to work there now. Yeah. Do you want yeah. me to read a little bit of that about that from the scripture? What a Go great ahead. idea! <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Yes, because it will give the answer right here. That would be great. Um, so I'm reading from Nehemiah, chapter one. I'm reading out of the NIV, by the way, verses one through four. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The gates are broken down. The walls are burned. It's a great disgrace Mm -hmm. for the city and for the people that are there. I mean, I watch the news sometimes, and, you know, they'll show a... Uh, an excerpt from Syria or from Afghanistan, and you can see what bomb damage, fire damage, war damage does. Um, and I think that's what Jerusalem must have looked like. It was destroyed, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and the walls were so very, very important back then. Um, I agree. Uh, am I going to go there? Do you want me to go ahead with that a little bit? Or? And talk about the walls a yeah. little bit? Or what, the fact that they weren't there or what was going on? Sure. What what it kind of symbolized when they were broken down, um, how it affected the people. Number one, they were um, in shame and disgrace. And people would come by and ridicule them. That's one thing. There's no defense. They're defenseless and left wide open. It's a great weakness. It's vulnerability. Um, and it is a repro- reproach for them. Um, like embarrassing? Very embarrassing because the cities that don't have walls around them are the backwater, um, poorest cities that don't 
have anything to and why would to you need to protect that? Right. Yeah. And also, these people because they they had no walls, and the walls had been in ruins for 150 years. Um, the, one of the things is that they were in constant turmoil and constant anxiety because anyone could come in, any raiding party could come at any time, and they had no way to keep them out, and they were in constant fear of their wives and their children mm-hmm. being taken away. The, and it's just, it's very sad. So that's sad a part, anymore. when I even think about the walls, I, if I were building a city, probably the first thing I would build would be the wall. To protect whatever it is that I'm building. And that's not what happened. There's debate on what the timeline was or how it worked, but they built an altar to sacrifice to God first. Mm-hmm. So when I look about how we return to God and re- we rebuild and we renew, the altar really is the first step, connecting with God, positioning ourselves in humility being willing to worship him, being able to worship him. It makes sense to me that they would do the altar then, then the temple, and then the walls after that. I wonder like how much was taken away. I don't maybe God protected that once they had the altar and the temple up. They might have just been protected. I don't know. I have no idea. Because there was another roughly 20-year span from when they went back to to build the altar in the temple until Nehemiah goes. Right. And what we're going to really discover as we start getting into the wall, they were in some really hostile territory. Mm -hmm. They were not in their happy place. I mean, it is the happy place. But But, the happy place But they were surrounded by enemies. Non-happy place, right. Right. Yeah. I'm going to read just this quote that's in the homework. The walls of Jerusalem were walls of protection. Jerusalem was the city of God, containing God's dwelling place, the temple. But after the Babylonian invasion, the walls were torn down and the city lay defenseless. Jerusalem was weak and unable to protect herself as long as the walls laid in ruins. And that was from Ray Stedman in the homework. Can you imagine how tired the people of Jerusalem must be? Oh my be? gosh. I mean, I know that if I'm uneasy about something, um, and if I don't feel safe or secure, I'm not mm-hmm. sleeping well right. because I'm so worried about my my people and my stuff and my whatever. I mean, can you imagine living 20 years just knowing that there are people who are actively trying to, you know, be your enemies? Like, mm-hmm. can you, right. I just can, I would just be exhausted. Mm-hmm. I would just be exhausted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things about that, too, when I look at it, is that's what it's like for us. When we're in sin and we're far away from God, we are so vulnerable. We don't sleep. Right. Right? We're always looking for someone. Now we have to be our protector. And so now we're looking for any offense that could come our way. And we're just so engaged in everything out there. We don't have a sense of ourselves. We don't have our identity. We can't rest. Yeah, yeah, we live in a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, pe- well, just a side note, people are getting more and more anxious, anxious. all the yeah. time. Because we're not grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't have those walls of protection. I was thinking about the altar being the first thing to be built. Um, all along, when the Israel uh, Israelites left Egypt... Along the way, they always stopped and built little altars. Yeah. And they, I mean, I don't know how little, probably big, because some of them were still standing, but they built their altars all along the way uh, in, their cap- in their exile and their wanderings 
so that they could worship God. And that, you know, the um, sacrifices and stuff were a huge part of that. So it kind of does make sense that they would build that verse, like you said. Right. Well, it shows their priority. What's the priority? My mm-hmm. personal safety or my relationship with God? And are you going to trust God with that personal gonna, safety? That's right. That had to be a step of faith. Yeah. Well, well I just... Thinking through, you know, talking about they were in the desert, you know, for 40 years mm-hmm. and they made these altars and they, these people have been all over the place and there are just all of these altars. So I think too, it was ingrained in them yeah. culturally and they've been taught over and over and over again. This is your first step is to acknowledge and worship, mm-hmm. acknowledge and worship, acknowledge and worship. Yep. Good point. I probably and should. then you're going to go on. Yeah. Probably should be our first step. Maybe so, yeah. (laughs) Oh, now there's a thought. Yeah, Yeah, just seeing your state. Jerusalem was in a tough place. They were in distress. Um, I think it was overwhelmed. I think you're right. It's exhausting. They had to be exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is to turn and just acknowledge God, sacrifice, and worship, being clear that way. Anything else about the state of Israel? Well, the people themselves... Where Anything. is this? Those who survived, they're called survivors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're not, um, I had a, a note here somewhere, no. but it is, um, it's a bad place. It's a bad thing to be. It's You're just a survivor. You're not living your best life. You're not um, developing, you know, your city and, and whatever. You're just surviving to get by day by day. You know, speaking into this, I work with people who have had trauma, and something happens to your brain. When you have that trauma, it just clicks, and all you do is you go into survival mode. Mm-hmm. Therefore, anything that looks like it could be attacking you gets bigger. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to live. You're just trying to make it. You're just trying to do it. You can't rest and let that go. That's where people who've had that trauma have that anxiety or that mm-hmm. um, hypervigilance, which I think was happening here. Mm-hmm with them. Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting because we talked yesterday about um, how God led these people to exile, but what did he instruct, how did he instruct them to live? Right. He said, build your life, mm-hmm. settle, you know, down. settle down, make a life, have, make get a life. married, have kids. Right. Yeah. So where's the disconnect that the people that are coming back are the quote unquote survivors because that's how they're referred to is the survivors, mm-hmm. but God has told them. So even as they were in exile, maybe they weren't living their best lives. Um, mm. Like God told them to, right? Yeah. You know, well, and there that, were that just hit me. There were yeah. some that were left in Jerusalem, kind right? Of the, the poorer ones, right? You know, the nobles were all taken to Babylon, taken into captivity, but but there was a remnant left in Jerusalem. Um, they didn't have many resources because all their resources had been taken by the Babylonians when they were conquered. Um, so are those the people then that are referred to as the survivors? I think yeah. those are more likely the survivors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So um, it says, um, he asks about um, Jerusalem and the people, and then the um, brother and the other guy says, those who, who survived the exile and are back in the province. So they're in Jerusalem. Yeah. They are the ones that are 
surviving. Yeah, and fear is contagious. Well, either way, yeah, whether yeah. you were a survivor and you were left in Jerusalem or you were a survivor and you had survived being exiled for 70 years, you got to figure they had a lot of post-traumatic stress. Mm. Lots um, of baggage. A lot of baggage mm. either yeah. way, yeah. And it's contagious. Like Absolutely. That fear moves. People start yeah. moving and it's they're catching. on hypervigilance. Everybody goes, well, what do I need to look for? Yeah. We're we're made that way so that if if one of you jumps and goes, oh, there's a bear, then I don't just sit here and go, yeah, so what's the next question? What do we <laughs> want to talk about? We all react if we think there's a bear in the room, right? right. And yeah. that's the way we've been designed. Mm-hmm. So I could see how that would help everybody be on alert. How many people are we talking about? Maybe around 100,000, I think, altogether right. from the three returns. Right. Um, I'm not sure how many were actually left in Jerusalem. Did we ever come up with a number with that, Suzanne? I don't I don't know. The think we did come up with a number of who were left in Jerusalem. But um, we did look up some numbers, and I you can probably hear me flipping through here. Um, in my study Bible, I have an NIV study Bible, mm-hmm. And um, it breaks down some different numbers for us. And um, I have that with Ezra, the men, um, they just break it down with men, with priests, men of Israel, priests, and then uh, the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, then the temple servants, the descendants of Solomon's servants, and then men of unproven origin. And their question is to... um, how many women and children were counted or not counted. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when you add it all up, it's almost 100,000 people. So a small city. Or a big city. Or, you know, probably a big city. Um, But it does break them down into the men of Israel, which would be, you know, those originals. Um, And then the priests who are separate. Mm -hmm. And then the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of their separate class of people, okay. um, and then the temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants. I think it's so cool that they break it down to like, these are the servants that we have, and these are even the descendants of the servants from Solomon, who we talked about which generations mm-hmm. before, um, that are still with them, mm-hmm. which is super cool. And then men of unproven origin. So those are the people who maybe married in at some mm-hmm. point or um couldn't you know yeah, they could not prove that they were israelites right but they were still accepted mm-hmm. as that that group of returning um the yes. part the part i liked was the 200 singers i'm like they're not moving without their tunes <laughs> that is like we got a long trip back everybody singers we need to sing yeah. 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 yeah that's cute a um, pretty diverse group yeah yes. you know i mean a lot of different socioeconomic groups, um, maybe different nationalities mixed so, in in some of those. Just like God and just like Jesus, we're all accepted in if we turn to him. That's right. And, and that happened like in a lot of times. I'm thinking Tamar, different women in the Bible, mm-hmm. they're, they're from different cultures. There's always this welcoming acceptance towards mm-hmm. God. That's not the issue. It's when you bring all of your things and you expect to worship Baal. Right. That's the problem. That's mm-hmm. when God says, uh-uh, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. always this welcome. There's probably a lot of cultures represented in here, although they were all considered Israelites. Mm-hmm. Well, they were all 
aligned with God. Aligned, yes. Yeah. So that kind of cracks me up when I think of people think Christians are like white and suburban. I'm like, <laughs> wow, how did you like totally yeah. miss the entire rest of the world? <laughs> I have this printout if we're interested in it, uh, in some information about the walls in Nehemiah's day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Interested? Because um, you said small city, big city. So um, the length of the wall is uh, 2.49 miles. So it's about that, two, and a, it's two and a half miles. The height of it is 39.37 feet. So that's a pretty, pretty big tall. wall. It's a big wall. And it's 8.2 feet thick. And that's incredibly thick. That is thicker than wow. a that, yeah. yeah. And then just a little ditty about Jerusalem I found somewhere. Um, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, and destroyed twice. Mm. So it has gone through a lot of awesome. um, attacks. and So I'm thinking, that's a big wall. That's a big wall. That's hard to a break really with like a camel really or an elephant or something. Yes. How do they break them? Well, I went over to Troy the other day, and they're redoing Interstate 75. Mm-hmm. So they have completely demolished the bridge and all of those big concrete pillars... It looks like a wasteland. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that with our study. I thought, okay, so that's what a broken, a a ginormous wall like that, that's what it would look like all broken down. It would be just a total wasteland, big hunks of concrete, material, Mm -hmm. bricks, whatever it was made out of, just lying willy-nilly all over the place. Mm -hmm. Okay, but did they have ways to explode it? Like, how did they do it? Like, everybody, take your pick. Let's go (laughs) to the wall. (laughs) Or get your axe. How how did they do that? Well, I think they had war machines. When they besieged a city, like a catapult kind of thing, they could throw big rocks and knock big portions down. Lots of organization. Yeah. Because you couldn't just go at it willy-nilly. You had to be organized, organized, and you had to have a plan of attack. Literally, yeah. you had to have a plan, a plan of, of attack. attack. Right. But yeah. think about how hard that is to yeah. break a wall, a wall like that like down. That. And mm. if they're building that wall, now we're going to learn, too, and we'll just give away the big surprise. It was done in 52 <laughs> days it was built. Let's talk to the guys at I-75 yeah. and how see many, how, how many targets was it attacked. Um, 55? 52 times. It was attacked 52 times, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and it took 52 days wow. to rebuild. Oh, huh, that's look pretty at you. cool. Yeah. You are on it. Yeah. That's the kind of math I can do in the Bible. I want mm-hmm. you to know. Yes. <laughs> I do think that 52 days is pretty spectacular, though, because another time when they rebuilt the wall, it took them four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 52 days. So 52 days, days was quite a feat. I mean, my neighborhood is probably two and a half miles if you drew a big circle around the neighborhood that I live in, um, that's a, I mean, if a football field is a, a track is a quarter of a mile around, mm-hmm. right? Multiply that to get you know two and a half miles. That's a pretty good size area. That's a lot of wall when you're talking, yep. you know, eight or nine feet thick. And not only are we talking a lot of wall, but we're talking about hills, and we're talking about right. working through logistical land or landscape logistics, because it's not like it's not somebody just said, here's point A and here's point B, right. go. Right. Jerusalem is on oh. a hill, on several hills. Yeah. So then you have to think about the different levels of it, and you have to think about grading, and you have to think about 
all of these things. So it's not like we're just plopping bricks down in a, you know, in a nice neat pattern. And it's not just one straight wall. Right. right. There are gates. There are towers. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more than just a one straight line of... Mm -hmm. of, uh, Mm-hmm. Wow. And we're going to get into that more on day three. But right now, the other piece about that, the people who were building it were people who were devastated. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're coming in with the confidence of your fantasy football team. I'm in mm-hmm. there right now because my son's making his pick <laughs> soon, and I'm like, okay, I can help you out. Who has, anyway, colors, different color jerseys. I don't know anything yeah. about I don't either. I'm pretty bad. But it's not like you're picking this great team. These are people who were devastated, not just recently, but for years, Mm -hmm. for years. Now, King Artaxerxes... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that um, in Nehemiah, in 1-3 that you read, Terry, Mm -hmm. um, the people are in great trouble and disgrace. Mm -hmm. Those aren't going to be your strong builders. Right. That's not, I mean, you're not going, man, I need a good contractor. Who am I going to look for? Somebody who's in disgrace and in trouble. Right. That's you know, just, not, not your just see them like pick. plodding along with their heads drooping, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and weary. 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 I think that's it, a great It's word. been 20 years it hasn't been built. Yeah. So they have a history of not doing that too. Right. Yeah. So they're tired. Right. And they're in disgrace and they're on high alert all the time mm-hmm. because you have that that constant threat because there's no protection from the wall right. that you're used to. Mm-hmm. So this is not um, your stellar top choice building crew right. that we've gone to. Well, they had to have been depressed. But depressed God. people are tired. Mm-hmm. But, but God, God. But that's, God. Right, that's it. Yeah. So this is a brokenhearted people, mm-hmm. and just. Out of curiosity, as we as we go through life, is there anything in particular that breaks your heart when you see that? And how are you moved to help them? I have a story from when I was out in the van with Donna. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have a lady that... Um, Okay, wait, say that again. You're in a van with... I'll explain. Yeah, okay. explain it. It's a ministry. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's a ministry that um, I was a part of for a while, and uh, the, the woman that's in charge of it, um, you make sandwiches, and you, we went to Detroit, and we stopped on the road. If we saw someone, okay, we we're basically ministering to homeless and special ladies, and um, so you took... So we worked as a group. Um, we came upon this one woman one night, and um, she was just standing there. And we pulled up alongside her, and you know, we always said, "Hi, we're from, you know, wherever. I'm not going to say the name right now. Would you like a sandwich, and a lunch kit, and a hygiene kit?" And they mostly said yes. And we're like, "Okay, well, she's going to get the sandwiches ready. Can we pray for you?" And she was like. Okay, and she came up to the van, and um, we didn't even get out. I don't know why. Usually, one person will get out and pray. Anyways, um, just said, you know, well, what can we pray for you for? And she just busted out crying, and she was like, 
I have to do it with a crying voice. And she was just like, um, I, I just don't know what to do. I, I'm out on the street, and um, I've been coming to this house to get high, and I don't even answer my mom or my daughter. They keep calling me, and I can't answer them because I, I have to do the drugs. I have to. I can't get away from it. And, and now I've been, he, this, the man in there told me I had to go out on the street, and I had to start working the streets because he wasn't going to give it to me anymore and she was just sobbing and I'm just like I'm sobbing now and I'm like can't we bring her in the van and take her home and you know we can't that's the part of one of the part of the rules is that you can't let anyone into the van but I wanted to take her home it was so heartbreaking and it's just I'm not I don't think I'll ever forget that mm-hmm. uh, and I'm just sobbing because it was just so hard to see I wanted to help her yeah oh gosh yeah Mm -hmm. and hopefully at some level you did like with the sandwich like that's the other thing we don't always have to save everyone right but we can take that step towards them we can engage them we can listen we can pray for them we can feed them Mm -hmm. and if I think of her whenever I think of her I'll pray for her you know and so I don't who knows I pray to God that she did get off the street get off the drugs, get home to her family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. There's a there's just so much in the world to be heartbroken over. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Is there's just so much yucky that it's just so easily it's it's easy to be heartbroken, but at the same time we have to balance that because we get to a point where we have seen so much heartache and seen so much ugliness that we just turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. You know? And that's where it's dangerous is when we start to not feel anymore and not care anymore or start to feel like there's just so much what can one person mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. What can one person do? And then you can look to Nehemiah and his one person. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to be overwhelmed and it's easy to just go... I don't know. The job's too big. The it's job's too, too big. big. Yeah. It's too big. There just is so much. All the drug addiction that we've got right now in this country, and I'm sure all around the world, I'm sure it's not just a problem that we have. Um, families torn apart, lives ruined, children dying. Um, it is, it, it's terrible, but you're right. It, just to be moved by that is one thing. Then what are we going to do about it? Right. I mean, we're called to... Um, to take action, to do something. What would Jesus do? I, I, I know people laughed about those old bracelets, but I loved them because in any situation, what would he have done? He certainly mm-hmm. would have fed them. Mm-hmm. You know, He would have prayed, and he knew prayer was powerful. I think sometimes we forget that. I think it's awesome that every time you think of that woman, mm-hmm. you're moved to pray for her again because that says, okay, I can't do anything right now for her except I can remind God that she's out there and I can stand in the gap mm-hmm. and intercede for her. I can pray for her. Yep. And um, God is still pretty powerful. God, he's right. the one who can really take action there. Yep. Um, yes, ma'am. Yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, th- I think that's just a very, very important part. My, I moved, I work with people in trauma, mm-hmm. some really, really, really tough situations. And what I've learned is I can't do it on my own. <laughs> Not even, 
a little bit. I'll start my day with prayer. I'm praying in between. I know there's times I'm in, I'm, I'm with, it doesn't have to be when I'm working. It'd be with someone I'm talking to on the street who needs some, some help. I'm like, God, show up. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm already here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, no, I mean like now, give me some words to say. And he goes, yeah, open your mouth. You know, it's are. like, it's right. almost like that detailed and that, that little bit, just trusting that he will come into this situation. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it was interesting when you said Nehemiah is like, yeah, Nehemiah and God. Like, right. <laughs> plus one, a big, big one. A big, big one. one. Yeah. You know? But that's how we can impact our world. That's how we can move into our world. And that was so important. If I'm just seeing it with my eyes, I do become numb. I want to shut a lot of things out that I'm hearing or seeing and don't even want to turn on a television or whatever. And let me just say, sometimes I think that's healthy. I agree. That it is okay to go, I can't watch this. Right. I can't hear this right now. And to have those boundaries. So I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. But when we have God with us and we're working according to what he wants, we can we can affect change mm-hmm. with that. So who wants to pray us out? Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for how you lead us and teach us and grow us as we study your word and uh, take it to heart and apply it to our lives. So Father, we just um, just thank you so much for that. and. Um, Keep us mindful of what you have to say to us and keep our eyes open and our ears open and most of all, our hearts open um, for what you have for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And cut. <laughs> 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 <laughs>